Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Mehdi Hassan. Before we begin, I want to take a moment to invite you to become a member of Deconstructed and The Intercept. It's never been more important to support truly independent journalism. If you're listening to this show, then you probably already know that The Intercept is a news organisation that doesn't follow the crowd and isn't afraid to challenge orthodoxies. We don't worship at the altar of access journalism. We cover stories that other media outlets don't or won't. But if we're going to keep producing this show and all the other great journalism you know and love in 2019 and beyond, we're going to need your support. Right now, you can head over to theintercept.com forward slash give and make a donation of $15, $50, $100 or more. Or you can become a sustaining member and sign up for a $5 or $10 monthly donation. Become a member at whatever amount you can afford, whatever amount feels right to you. Membership is not only about the money, it's about a proud and public declaration of support for the kind of fierce adversarial journalism we do every day. We try and have your back and you can have ours. Press freedom is under attack in this country. To support the kind of independent journalism that The Intercept produces every day, head over to theintercept.com forward slash give. That's theintercept.com forward slash give. Now, time for the show. Well, the 2020 race for president is already heating up. The real question for Democrats is who they have to take on Trump. President Trump is already talking 2020. 2020 is looking really easy. Who the hell's going to beat us? Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan. I know, I know, it feels like the midterm elections were only yesterday. But that's US politics. 2020 is, for all intents and purposes, just around the corner. The presidential primary season kicks off next year, and there is one big question hanging over the Democratic Party, the question that has haunted them ever since 2016. The Democratic Party is looking for signs of life in the Midwest, the Rust Belt it used to be called, we don't say that anymore, that went big for Trump in 2016. The Rust Belt, the Midwest, the industrial heartland. For the last quarter century, it was solid blue. Donald Trump changed all that. And as 2020 approaches, the Democrats find themselves wondering, is there a candidate who can take it back? I was fighting against bad trade agreements. I was fighting for justice. I was fighting for marriage equality. When this president, private citizen, billionaire, inheritor of great wealth was making his products overseas and then saying, make America great again. That's my guest today, Senator Sherrod Brown. He just got re-elected for a third term in Ohio. Yeah, Ohio. In a state where things otherwise look increasingly grim for the Democrats, Brown pulled off the supposedly impossible, defeating his Republican opponent by nearly seven points. So, on today's show, could an unashamedly left-wing pro-Labour senator from Ohio be the Democrats' answer to Trump in 2020? And is he even going to run against the likes of Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren? I'll ask him. And I'll also discuss the 2020 Democratic race with my Intercept colleague, Ryan Grimm, our DC bureau chief, and Claire Sandberg, party activist and former digital organising director for Bernie Sanders during the 2016 primaries. 
Before we get to my interview with Senator Sherrod Brown, though, I want to say a few words about his boss, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, who was re-elected as Minority Leader last month by acclamation. His Democratic colleagues didn't even bother voting for him. Last week, Schumer responded to reports that Donald Trump still wants $5 billion for his absurd border wall by telling reporters that he, the Senate Minority Leader, was okay with spending $1.6 billion on it. The $1.6 billion for border security negotiated by Democrats and Republicans is our position. Now, Schumer and his defenders, ever since this quote of his went viral on Twitter, have been at pains to stress that this $1.6 billion isn't for the wall. It's for border security. It's for fencing. Come on. One man's fence is another man's wall. And border security for Donald Trump, as we now know, involves tear-gassing kids. Children hit with tear gas, families blocked at the border. Maybe shooting them too. They want to throw rocks at our military, our military fights back. So the correct answer when discussing how much money to spend on Trump's border wall, remember, the wall that Mexico was supposed to pay for. They're going to pay for the wall and they're going to enjoy it, okay? The correct answer is not $1.6 billion or $1 billion or half a billion dollars. It's zero dollars, Chuck Schumer, zero There is no bipartisan deal to be done on border security funding with an administration of white nationalists which wants to turn the border into a war zone. And here's the worst part of it. Schumer made his $1.6 billion compromise offer the day after NBC News reported that according to their data, the Democrats won the House of Representatives with the biggest ever margin of victory in a midterm election for either party. The biggest midterm win in US history, an 8.8 million vote lead over the Republicans, breaking the previous record, which was set back in 1974 in the wake of Watergate. So, to be clear, the very next day after it was confirmed that Democrats now have a huge and historic electoral mandate, Chuck Schumer goes to a press conference and signals to the world and to the White House that he's willing to roll over, as usual, just as he rolled over when an under-fire Facebook asked him to. Uh, The New York Times reporting that Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer essentially ran interference on behalf of Facebook as the Senate investigated the social media giant for its role in propagating false information during the election. The same Facebook which gives Schumer more money than any other member of Congress. No conflict of interest there at all just as he rolled over on 15 of Trump's judicial nominees over the summer, who Schumer outrageously, astonishingly, agreed to fast-track without any resistance and without getting anything for the Democrats in return. As journalist David Cleon joked on Twitter last week, if Chuck Schumer were the president of Mexico, Mexico would be paying for the wall. But all jokes aside, Schumer is a disgrace. He's unfit to be Senate Minority Leader. He doesn't do resistance, he does collaboration. At a time when Nancy Pelosi is constantly having her leadership in the House of Representatives questioned by left and right alike, why is Schumer getting a pass? Why isn't anyone calling for him to go? It's not as if there aren't Senate Democrats who do stand up to Trump. I'm about to speak to one of them. In their very successful midterm elections last month, the Democrats didn't do so well in the key swing state of Ohio, failing to pick up any new seats in the House of Representatives and failing to break the GOP stranglehold on the state's legislature, Senate and governor's mansion. They did, though, score one very big win there. Progressive populist Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, he won his Senate race on Tuesday night, his re-election race, despite Republicans targeting him heavily and despite Ohio otherwise staying pretty Republican this year. 
Trump won Ohio by eight points, but Sherrod Brown won his third straight Senate election in Ohio for the Democrats on November the 6th by more than six points. He's the only Democrat who seems to be able to win a statewide race in Ohio these days, and he does it by getting lots of votes from white working-class voters. He champions trade unions and the labor movement. He's a long-standing critic of corporate power and free trade deals. He was pushing his anti-globalization, pro-worker shtick in the Rust Belt long before Donald Trump came along and without any of Trump's nativism, racism or xenophobia. And look, it seems to work for him. Thank you, Ohio! You all showed the country that progressives can win and win decisively in the heartland. We carry a state that Donald Trump won by almost double digits. So, is Senator Sherrod Brown, who said he's thinking about a presidential bid in 2020, is he the man to beat Donald Trump in the Rust Belt, the progressive Democrat who could win back white working class voters? Senator Sherrod Brown joins me now. Senator, thank you for joining me on Deconstructed. Good to be with you. Thank you. Congratulations on getting re-elected in Ohio. Um, Given Hillary Clinton lost there to Donald Trump by eight points in 2016, and this year your party lost a governor's race in Ohio, failed to pick up any House seats in Ohio, how did you manage to get re-elected to the Senate from Ohio? What's your secret sauce? How is it that you connect with white working class voters in that state in a way that other Democrats seem unable to? Well, there's there, there's no secret sauce. I, I think it really is a, um, and we had good candidates this year. It's a it's a state that continues to get more conservative. It, but it's a state that that um, you know has been pretty hit hard pretty hard by globalization. But it, it, to me, it's uh, it's a it's a career and a message of the dignity of work. Uh, we just don't in this country respect the dignity of work. We don't honor the dignity of work the way we should. And people increasingly believe that. You know, they, they work hard, they play by the rules, they don't have a chance to get ahead. And uh, I talk about that and I legislate about that. But your, that's been your message consistently for decades now. And it's worked for you in Ohio, three straight Senate victories. Uh, but let's be honest, a lot of the new Democrats elected to the House in this blue wave aren't as progressive as you. Many of them are pretty centrist. They ran very moderate campaigns. Has the party really moved to the left, moved over to the Sherrod Brown view of the world, do you think? Yeah, I, I, first, I don't, I don't see, I understand, I, I, I mean, I'm absolutely progressive and will always be. Um, I don't think, I don't see the world and I don't think voters see the world as sort of left to right. Yeah. Um, I think people want to know about their politicians. Are you, you have my back, you're on my side. And I, I've supported marriage equality for 20 plus years. I've always been pro-choice and stood up for Planned Parenthood. I've always, uh, I've always gotten an F pretty much, I think, always gotten an F from the NRA. So you can <laughs> best, do this without, you can be get. a progressive without compromising on these issues and you can do it without caving to Wall Street or caving to the gun lobby or caving to Donald Trump. I'm wondering, do you agree though that a lot of Democrats elected to the House don't share your uh, as as progressive a view of the world as you do, that's that's reasonable to say. I think uh, maybe maybe they don't. I, I guess I haven't analyzed. I mean, we unfortunately I don't mean to laugh at that at all. We haven't we didn't have any new members in Ohio, uh, new Democratic members of Congress. I mean, I I believe my progressive politics are absolutely mainstream America and mainstream yeah. Ohio. I I couldn't win in Ohio consistently unless my progressive message aligned pretty much along the lines of of the the middle of my state, not the political middle, but the values of my state. And I guess I, I guess I don't so that, know where... that's what I'm wondering. Where did other Democrats in your state go wrong then? What were they doing wrong that you did right? That's what I'm trying to get to. Well, I think they didn't, they didn't have a history of 
you know, they, they maybe it's because I've been around a while and, and voters know that I will fight for those issues. Uh, many of them were outspent. Many of them uh, just couldn't break through the noise of who, who are you running? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. The, the, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lean Republican state. I mean, I had to get 15 percent or so Trump voters. But, you know, I was I was standing up on fair trade. I uh, Trump, uh, President Trump just the other just yesterday blamed me for the auto, the GM closings. I mean, he just said I wasn't doing my job or something, which was a bit amusing because, um, you know, there's a Republican governor and a Republican president, and Republican House and Senate, Republican Supreme Court. So he had to find a Democrat to blame. Shock horror. The president lies. Yeah. And he had to find it. But, but I think more to that. I thought when I was asked that, I thought, you know, I was fighting against bad trade agreements. I was fighting for justice. I was fighting for marriage equality when, when this president, private citizen, billionaire, inheritor of great wealth was making his products overseas and then saying, make America great again. So I, I put my record up against his any day of fighting for workers. So on that note of putting your record up against his, the 2020 Democratic campaign is about to kick off in earnest in a few months' time with people declaring whether they're running or not. At least 20 Democrats or more might run uh, for the nomination. Will you be one of them, Senator Brown? Um, I, I don't know. I, um, I, I really never. I was talking to Senator Casey about this today. I, I've never really thought about seriously about running for president ever. I mean, people have said you ought to run. You hear that as a politician all the time. If you can put a sentence together, somebody will tell you to run for president. And but um, since the election, it all changed. And I heard from. I mean, we've heard from this. My wife and I've been overwhelmed by how many big name Democrats and just activists, labor leaders, labor activists, voters, whatever in Ohio and across the country have said. Uh, you really should think about running for president. And so we're thinking about it. I don't know. And you told BuzzFeed a couple of weeks ago that if there is, quote, somebody else that can carry your message, your pro-worker message, you'd be, quote, less likely to run. Um, A lot of progressives, lefties listening to this podcast might say, well, surely Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren could could and probably will carry that message. They have bigger national profiles than you do. So why not get behind one of them instead of running against them? I don't know that I, I don't a lot of people generally say the the right progressive things, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know that. I mean, I maybe I carry it differently. I, I guess I don't know, and I'm not close to throwing in with anybody yet. I want to continue to to talk about this message, and when I start hearing people talk like this, not that I'm the only way that can do this, but yeah. um, then I'll kind of assess where where to go. It's a personal decision. My family's affected in a in the most personal way by any of this, and I've got to sort of think it through. You're not worried about splitting the left vote between kind of diff- no, a few, I, I a few good I don't, left I candidates. I don't think that, I mean, there, there are, most voters in the Democratic primary are progressive, and even the people that you might call sort of centrists are progressive in most things. I mean, you know, some people are maybe for single payer or Medicare for all, other people are for Medicare at 55 voluntary until you get to Medicare for all. So I, I think those differences aren't as great as, as the media and some politicians want you to think they are. And despite having one of the most progressive voting records in the Senate and voting alongside Senator Bernie Sanders on a whole host of issues, in 2016, you endorsed Hillary Clinton for president, not Bernie. Some reporters suggested that left him pissed off at you. Do you regret that endorsement of Hillary, given the way the election worked out, especially in your state of Ohio? No, I really don't regret because I, I think it was a difficult race for Bernie if he had been the nominee. I think I think what I regret is not working earlier with Hillary on on this dignity of work, and maybe we could have had a little more influence in the campaign, and especially in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Ohio. 
And if you, I have regrets, I mean, my regret is that she didn't win. Of course, but we I all think, think that's a, that. I think that's a great for a lot of people. That this I, president's done. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously you're going to be pushing that message if you do run in 2020, as I suspect will Bernie Sanders and others. For sure. One of the things Bernie's pushing is Medicare for All. Um, you didn't support the Medicare for All Act that he sponsored with, I think, 16 other Democratic senators last year. How come? And do you think that will hurt you in the primaries, given everyone from Cory Booker to Kamala Harris have backed it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know most of the people running for president have been for Medicare for All. That's sort of become a litmus test. First of all, I co-sponsored a Medicare for All bill 10 years ago, uh, 15 years ago. Second, I've been the leader on the Medicare, voluntary Medicare at 55. I don't think Medicare for All is going to happen now. I think Medicare at 55 can happen. And if you do Medicare at 55 and you do it right, it eases the transition. Uh, the easy the easy political position is I'm for Medicare for All. Well, but the, the practical position to make Medicare for All happen is you do Medicare at 55 voluntarily. We missed by one vote. I wrote that provision. We missed by one vote in 2008 until Joe Lieberman sold us out. We missed getting that as part of the Affordable Care Act. History would be very different if my Medicare for All provision, my Medicare at 55 provision had stayed in the Affordable Care Act. Unfortunately, it didn't. I want to find a way to make it happen. It's not the first progressive thing Joe Lieberman has screwed up. Uh, Just on the Senate right now, do you really think uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer is the right guy to be in in charge of your party there? We had this recent New York Times bombshell report which suggested he was pressuring Senator Mark Warner to back off from Facebook, which gives him more money than any other member of Congress. We've heard him say he's okay with funding Trump's border security to the tune of $1.6 billion. Don't you need a person leading the Senate Democrats right now who's willing to fight Trump like yourself and not roll over? I think that... I mean, uh, of course we do. And I think Pelosi is that person. I think Schumer is that person. And we are really? we are of one mind. We all we all voted no on the tax bill. All but one voted no on on um, the Supreme Court. So you're OK uh, with one point six billion dollars for Trump? No, border I, security? Not. no I, I don't agree. I'm not going to agree well, with what anything any proposal. leader wants to do. But I agree mostly. And I think Schumer is capable and strong. And, and, and hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And we're in, in a good leader in that way. There will always be differences. I'm not going to take a shot at the leader, just make or criticize the leader just because I disagree with them on a handful of things, even though I do. So, how much money do you think Chuck Schumer should be giving Trump for the wall? I think he should, should be zero, but I also think if we could get DACA, um, you do things to get DACA. I mean, I, I want to, uh, I mean, I, there are a lot of things you need to accomplish in a big negotiation. I'm not going to pick off one at a time and say, do this, don't do this. I don't count me in if I don't. Senator Brown, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for us. Thanks. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. See ya. Bye bye. 
That was Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio uh, to talk about his chances in a crowded 2020 Democratic presidential primary field, which could see as many as 25 or even 30 people running for president. And to talk about the left's approach to the 2020 race in general, I'm joined by my colleague, Ryan Grimm, DC bureau chief for The Intercept, who's writing a book about the left insurgency within the Democratic Party, and Claire Sandberg, former digital organizing director for Bernie Sanders during the 2016 primaries and former deputy campaign manager for Michigan gubernatorial candidate Abdul El Sayed. Thank you both for joining me on Deconstructed. You got it. Great to be here. Ryan, let me start with you. Is Senator Sherrod Brown the man to win back the Rust Belt for the Democrats in 2020? Well, I mean, somebody has to be. That's where the path goes to the White House. You know, if they don't win Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, then uh, they have no shot. They they can lose Ohio. And, and frankly, I think uh, even Sherrod Brown, who's won three times yeah. in Ohio, would have a difficult time beating Trump. You know, it depends on how the economy is going and everything else and how, how much organizing and energy there would be behind him. But, you know, that that message of fighting for working people, you know, has to be central. Anything they do there, you would think. Yeah. It's a message he coined long before Trump came along and without the racism <laughs> yes. and xenophobia. Right. Which is helpful. Yes. Um, Claire, um, you're in Germany right now where you're uh, working with other left parties. When you look back, you're going to be back in the U.S. soon and this race is going to be in full swing very soon. Is Sherrod Brown a contender? Well, you know, it's going to be a very crowded field, and I suppose I don't want to um, take any bets with too much certainty right now, but <laughs> yeah. I really I really don't see it happening. I think that in terms of the level of just name recognition, support, money, volunteers, enthusiasm, I, I don't know how he can build that level of support, especially with a Super Tuesday that includes California. And we're, we're kind of speculating about who could win in a head-to-head matchup against Trump. But uh, you have to get through the Democratic primary first. Yeah. And I think that you know every poll that's come out so far has shown that the two candidates who are leading the field are Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, the candidates who Democratic primary voters are the most familiar with. And uh, I, yeah. I don't see how someone like Sherrod Brown could come in when he is not the preferred candidate of the establishment and also doesn't have the small dollar donor base or volunteer base and is not going to meet a lot of progressive litmus tests. Ryan, is Medicare for all going to be the litmus test for every Democrat running in 2020? Well, and it, as we heard him say, weirdly, you know, he says he supports Medicare for all, but but he didn't want to. And he's and he talks about how he signed a Medicare for all bill, you know, decades ago. But he's uh, pragmatic. But, but he's pragmatic and he wants to get there. And, the, and, and that, that gets to the problem that, that Claire identified, which is it's hard to envision who the voters are uh, who are going to choose Sherrod Brown when they have these other options. Uh, that 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 she laid out, particularly when he doesn't have the money, he doesn't have the small small dollars, he doesn't have the big money, doesn't have establishment support. Uh, so the, o- the only thing he has is this idea among. Well, he's got a lot of labor support, but he's got the idea among Democratic voters that oh, this is the you know this is the the pro worker white guy from Ohio that we need mm-hmm. to take on Donald Trump. And so you know, I think he'll get get some votes out of that. He'll get some votes for that raspy voice. People absolutely love that. He's got a very distinct And he's been combing his hair recently. I know it's a podcast you can't see, but in some of his TV interviews. I don't know which way that cuts. Uh, But to her point, and implicit in it was that somebody like Abedo O'Rourke, who does have the small dollar donations, can be seen by Democratic voters as surging because he's brand new on the scene. Whereas Sherrod Brown's been around for three, three terms plus 
yeah. uh, his, his previous career. Good point. Uh, $64,000 question to you, Claire. You worked for Bernie Sanders in 2016 in those primaries. He came second. Uh, is he going to run again in 2020? I think so. All signs point to yes, and I hope he does. And and when he does, what kind of position is he going to be in? There was a HuffPost piece this week about his climate town hall. Bernie does these town halls on Facebook these days, which are getting lots of ratings. And he did one on climate change on, on Monday with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bill McKibben and others. Um, and the HuffPost did a piece saying, Bernie Sanders stakes out forceful climate stance, leapfrogging the 2020 field and saying this will work well what he did uh, on Monday with millennials and with some members of the Democratic base who want the party to take climate change more seriously. When the 2020 race kicks off officially, it's unofficially already kicked off. What kind of position will Bernie be in? Top two, you think? Absolutely. I think that he'll be in a very strong position. And when you look at the, the town hall on climate change, um, which not only is a reminder that he is regularly beating CNN in the ratings with Bernie TV and all the videos that he's doing, there are a lot of people who are pointing to the California primary being moved up as an indicator that he can't win. I don't see it that way. I, I actually think that with bigger states having their primaries earlier, the candidates who have high name ID, who are able to raise a lot of money through large dollar contributions or small dollar contributions, and who have volunteers who are ready to go are going to be in the best position. It's going to be very expensive. And um, the Bernie campaign, before we even had boots on the ground in 2016 in California, had already had literally thousands of volunteer events. Yeah. And those volunteers haven't gone away. Yeah. And I think you're right about the volunteer factor. People underestimate how many people, not just dollars, but how many human beings are required to run an election campaign. And Bernie Sanders does have an army of human beings who want to come out for him in a way that perhaps other progressives and other candidates don't. And Ryan's mentioned uh, Beto O'Rourke. He clearly has an army of people ready to go travel from around the country if he gives the, the signal such as his popularity. Just sticking with Bernie for a second, Ryan, you've covered a lot of presidential campaigns. He would be 79 years old, January 2021, if he were to win. Is that going to be a problem for him, the age issue? He'll be the oldest ever president to be sworn in. It, it will be used, but I think Donald Trump has lowered the bar so effectively <laughs> Thanks, on, on everything that any criticism that you can level at anybody, uh, people start to deflect and say, well, Donald Trump. Yeah. So... And Donald Trump and himself then, will be 75, I believe. Right. And so, so then you, Republicans then so, are putting up a young candidate. Right. And so then you you refocus, you know, once you can dismiss that criticism because Trump, then you refocus on the positives of whatever candidate uh, that you're talking about. And I and I do think Claire's right that like in, in Washington, people are underestimating Bernie Sanders' uh, chances, uh, both for the reasons yeah. uh, she laid out and then some other ingrained ones. And I think they're overestimating Joe Biden. You know, he has consistently yes, shown himself to be a poor campaigner. He doesn't wear well under the spotlight. And he as, ran for president. We saw him twice. in those debates. He was awful. Twice, yeah. Um, he, and, he dropped out for plagiarism in 1988. Also, oh, yes. Plagiarizing Neil Kinnock, British Labour Party leader That's at the right. time. He, uh, was it good? Was it a good risk? It was good when Neil Kinnock did it. Um, <laughs> the problem with Biden has, of course, that I've made this point before and I keep making it, is I don't see how in an age of Me Too and Black Lives Matter, the guy who gave us Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill and gave us uh, the, basically the mass incarceration no, in, the in part. It was called the Biden crime bill. Yeah, so I don't see how he gets past that in the primaries. But maybe he does. He's got the Obama machine also behind his... him. Although the Obama machine might go to Beto. A lot of them will. A lot of them are loving. Yeah, they're. They, he's he's uh, Texas white yeah. Obama. 
Sorry, the white Obama. Um, Claire, let me ask you this. You're obviously a Bernie supporter. You worked for Bernie and you've made the case very eloquently for why a Bernie run would be both viable and one of the favourites from day one. Elizabeth Warren is seen as a uh, a favourite, a darling of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. How much of a threat does she pose to Sanders? How much is the left vote going to be split between Sanders and Warren and maybe Sherrod Brown? I I don't think that Warren is going to be as competitive as people think that she is going to be, because the controversy around the Native American ancestry is not going to go away. And it actually goes right to Trump's point about uh, undeserving people of color skipping in line. It's it's a wedge. It's a a cudgel he can use over and over again. Uh, I don't think that the left is going to embrace her in the same way that they would embrace Bernie. And uh, I just don't see it happening. Uh, I I also don't see, I think Beto is someone who is a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and also the New Democratic Caucus, and who is the, the second top recipient of oil and gas contributions after Ted Cruz in the entire Congress. Although, to be fair, those are individual contributions, not PAC contributions. And sure. Also, not to, not to defend Beto, but uh, I think that was about 400 grand out of what he raised, what, like 100 yeah, he raised million. a lot of money. And it's but the, I take okay. your point. It's the biggest employer in Texas. There are question so. marks about his progressive credentials. Sure. I take and, your wider I th- point. I think if you went across the and looked at every industry, because he raised he was multiple times of what anybody else did in the last two years. But he's years. clearly going to be a very interesting candidate and very viable if he runs, given the name mm-hmm. recognition, the energy, the enthusiasm. I think he and Bernie have got that going for them. They've got people who literally will you know, fly around at their own expense to campaigns and volunteer. And the um, question will be how much of Beto's enthusiasm was anti-Cruz enthusiasm, and does that translate? I mean, everyone's got anti-Trump enthusiasm. Um, Elizabeth Warren, Ryan, Claire makes a very good point about some of the controversy she's been involved in. I mean, I cringed when I saw the Native American ad. I wish she hadn't done it. Uh, She was actually very successful at getting under Donald Trump's skin. By doing that ad, I felt like he had gotten under her skin. Um, On the other hand, as you pointed out earlier, Trump has lowered the bar in a sense. He's not just lowered the bar. He also has turned scandal into something else. So when you look at scandals... Native American ad doesn't really feel that big. Will it even be remembered come March or April, given what an impressive political figure, in my view, she still is across the board? Like Claire said, it'll still be used um, during the Democratic primary. Uh, and it's something that's you know become attached to her. I think that if she had run in 2016, I think she would have beaten Hillary Clinton. I think Sanders wouldn't have run. He was, was her time. You know, he was waiting for her. Uh, to decide, and she decided not to, so he jumped in. I think I think she actually would have beaten Clinton and would have beaten Trump. The window, you know, may who, you know, the, the conventional wisdom in Washington is the, that the window is closed. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, you know, we'll probably get to find out. Yeah, I wouldn't underestimate her. She's a she's a I I consider her to be a very Extremely impressive politician. Impressive. And if Bernie yeah. wasn't in the race, I think that is naturally where all the the lefties would go. Um, Claire, let me ask you this. You mentioned how, you know, the bar has moved and Medicare for all, even, you know, you've got everyone from Gillibrand to Booker to Harris, Kamala Harris, everyone signing up for this when when Bernie brought it after. At a time, there was a time when no one wanted to touch it. Um, given the 2020 primaries around the corner, is this, a, is this a golden time for the left and the Democratic Party? Is there lots of choice? Is this a good thing that lots of people are running and trying to win over lefties for the first time in a long time? I think it is a good thing. I think it's a I think it's a very good thing. I think that seeing all of the prospective 2020 candidates, well, except for Sherrod Brown in the Senate, support the Medicare for All bill was very encouraging and it'll be very interesting to see whether they support whatever Bernie does on on climate and a green new deal because um, I think that that is 
it's a bigger political risk to take in many ways. But I think that the question that the left has to ask is, are we going to accept box checking and signing on to some litmus tests, or do we want a real champion who is going to fight? I mean, I think one of the key distinctions between Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, for instance, is that, as she said many times, she believes in markets down to her toes. Um, The climate bill that she just put out was a market-based approach. And I think that there are, there's an opening right now for a progressive movement in this country to offer solutions that are driven by government action and that are about fundamentally rebalancing power in our society. And I think that that's, that's what I hope the left looks for less of the personality-driven politics that I see animating the Beto phenomenon, for instance. But uh, maybe I'm being more aspirational um, than others. Uh, Sorry to break it to you, Claire. There's going to be a lot of personality politics in 2019, (laughs) I can assure you. But I take your aspiration very seriously. Um, Claire, you're a Bernie supporter. You worked for Bernie. You want him to run. But is there a wild card in the pack? Is there someone we're not thinking of who could come out and surprise us all in that race, even up against Bernie, your candidate? You know, the one candidate who I am going to be watching, uh, besides Bernie, obviously, is Kirsten Gillibrand, who I think has um, obviously took a number of incredibly odious positions early on in her career, um, but has most recently been the one who voted against the most Trump appointees, uh, was the first uh, U.S. senator to come out for abolishing ICE and for a jobs guarantee. And it'll be interesting to see if she just goes full throttle as a left candidate and really runs on ideas like a jobs guarantee. Um, Because I I think that actually... uh, we tend to overestimate the extent to which politicians can go back on their promises. And Donald Trump is obviously having uh, a real (laughs) time of it right now trying to get that wall built. So if she runs on a jobs guarantee, I think she would have to deliver on that if she became president. So that'll be something that's interesting to see. And she's been a big champion of the Me Too movement as well. Uh, One last question to you, Ryan. A lot of people say, oh, Trump might get reelected and he might get reelected. We shouldn't underestimate that point. But, you know, there's no Democrats who can beat him. I often hear a lot of negativity on the left as well. It's like, oh, there's no good candidates. I don't buy that, actually. I think we're too cynical now about politicians. If you compare to 2016, when you got Jim Webb and Martin O'Malley and Lincoln, whatever his name is, uh, now you've got some very serious candidates. Whether you agree with all their politics or not, Senator Kamala Harris is a very serious candidate, a very serious contender, would make a good president, whatever you think of her politics across the board. Uh, You could say the same about Senator Cory Booker. I disagree with a lot of his positions. But to say he's not a serious candidate, I think, is absurd. There are a lot of interesting people, senators, governors, uh, former members of Congress who are going to be running. Far too many people are going to be running, but a lot of them are strong candidates, aren't they? A, it it shows what a mistake the party leadership made in 2016 by clearing the field for For Hillary Hillary Clinton. Uh, But B, I agree. If you look at the midterm results, Democrats... Uh, received roughly as many votes in the midterm elections as Donald Trump did to win the White House, which is absolutely extraordinary because there's always a significant bump from the midterms to the uh, presidential year for for Democrats. So if they can keep this enthusiasm going and and even uh, drive it up with the extra two years they have to continue organizing, then the states where they romped in Uh, 2018, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania are very much winnable in 2020. Regardless of the candidate. Regardless of the candidate. They they could drag anybody's old bones across that line. (laughs) 
on that note, Ryan, Claire, thank you so much for joining me on Deconstructed. Thanks, Betty. Thank you. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept and is distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Zach Young. Dina Sayed Ahmed is our production assistant. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Lital Molard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps new people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Sadly, this will be our final show of season two. We're taking a few weeks off, but we will be back in the new year. We have some truly exciting new plans for 2019. Until then, thanks for listening. Happy holidays. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.